I want to invite you in uh, this moment into a little bit of my world. I want to invite you into my mind, and I want you to show you what, <laughs> well, not all of it, but I want to show you some of what goes on <laughs> in my mind, uh, because there's a scripture in Hebrews 13, 17, which says this, have confidence in your leaders. This is the, 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 the new wimpy uh, NIV. The, the, most of the other versions say, obey. Uh, and submit to, obey your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as people who as must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that's of no benefit to you. There is no advantage to you if you make your leader's job difficult in the kingdom. Um, so this idea is uh, very, very intriguing if you're called to leadership in the church because that says I am actually gonna have to give an account, not to you, but to my king, I have to give an account for the way I ministered. Now, I, I wish I could imprint that on the hearts of many, many people in leadership of the church because I think it would drastically change the way they function and the way they serve the body of Christ. So the question then is obviously, well, what do I have to give an account for in your life? I believe there are five things that are primary that I'm going to give an account for. Number one is what I preach and teach. What I teach you is important. That's why what you get saved into is more important than what you get saved out of because they're going to teach you something. They're going to preach some sort of a doctrine to you that's going to empower you or bind you. It's going to bind you or loose you according to whatever their doctrine is. Number two, how and where they lead you. Uh, what they call you to do, where they're leading you in uh, the kingdom. I think I'm going to give an, uh, an account for that one day. I think I'm going to give an account for the example that I modeled. There's one thing to teach, it's another thing to walk the walk, and it's don't, don't, uh, Paul said, I, I don't want your opinion of me to be anything else, based on anything else, but what you currently see in my life right now. How about that? He said, I could go into this discussion about visions I've seen. I was caught up to heaven. He says, but I don't want to talk to about that. I want your opinion of me not to be based on stories I tell, but on what you can see currently in my life. I like that. I think I'm going to be held accountable for the expectations that I have of you and that I created in your mind. What can you expect from God? What should he expect from you? And I think I'm going to call it account for how I prayed for you. What I am not going to give an account for is the decisions you made. Praise God. <laughs> the decisions you make after I do that is on you. So when we stand before the Lord one day, when the Lord says, when we before the, you know, the, there's a day coming when we'll stand, I, I'm telling you, I, I believe this all my heart. All right, Northland, step up. And the Lord is going to, will give an account. I'm going to give an account to the Lord. Just like in Revelation, he's, the leaders of the churches, he goes, what's going on? I, I, like what's, I like that piece. I didn't like that piece too much. We, we'll give an account. But you're going to give an account for what you decided. And that's very exciting. So the question is, what should I be leading you to? And I'm rushing through this because this is, I just want you to see there's some thought going in behind this. Where should we be leading you? Well, number one, we should be leading you to worship. By that I mean a life that's centered on Jesus. What, what we've called for 23 years here, a vital personal walk with the Lord. Secondly, I, we should be leading you to unselfish fellowship. That means learning to love God's family. 
Not selfish fellowship. Yeah, I, I only want to meet with that person and not his wife. I want to meet with them. I'll, you know, if we could pick and choose the people we fellowshiped with, that would be, that's my group. Well, no, that's not unselfish fellowship. Amen. We call it journey groups or committing to community. That's our language. Discipleship is cultivating spiritual maturity. We created a whole journey map to help you with that and resources. You should commit to ministry, to give something back. We call that grace teams here. Everybody serves. You should commit to mission, telling other people about his love. And we have missional communities and various places you can preach the gospel. Those are basic five things that pretty much every Christian in every church ought to just go to. And so you go, well, what's my responsibility? Well, I'm supposed to live that out in front of you. What am I supposed to lead you to? I'm supposed to lead you there. Now, you and I both know that we can get up and say that's what you should be doing, but not everybody wants to go there. So how should I get you there? Now, there are different ways. There are standard ways that people have used for many, many years. We can elevate ourselves as the clergy way above you. I'm so deeply spiritual and you're so ugly and sinful that uh, I'm so close to God and you're far, far away, so you ought to listen to me and everything I say you should obey. And I hate that, because it's not biblical. Amen. So we can't do that. I could get legalistic on you and beat you up. And some churches do. And we can't do that, because it's not biblical. Because it's by grace through faith. I could try to bully you, or bribe you, or threaten you, nag you, but the flesh only gives birth to flesh. So what do I do? How do I get you doing what you know and I know you should be doing? Paul said, we never use flattery, so I can't do that. It's a tough job, this, you guys think. (laughs) I don't have executive authority. I can't fire you. So we pray, we set an example, we preach and teach, we lead you in a direction, we create expectations that are in line with the scriptures. But this is what Paul said to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. To Titus, he said, teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. To the Corinthian church, We've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception. We can't distort the the word of truth. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. To the Thessalonican church, he said, now, see, see, this is the heart of a shepherd, because shepherds here in this place will understand this. Now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. I cannot tell you, over the last three months when people have come to me and said, you know that thing we did, I put it into practice and it's brought me life. That book, I read it and I've engaged with that group. That now I really live. It's hard to describe that. When people you're responsible for are putting the right things into practice, now I really live. Because you're standing firm. It's like a parent to a child. 
the child starts to thrive. Look at me, how good is my life. I want to talk today about an engagement, cultivating spiritual maturity. Something that you and I have to take personally. Now I can tell you about it, and we've been preaching about it for a couple of months. We've been talking about slowing down. We've been talking about reorganizing your priorities. We've been talking about engage and become somebody who does this. We can be an example, we can preach about it, we can pray for you, and we have been doing all of those things. But there comes a moment where we have to present it plainly, and, and it's the moment of decision. And you have to decide. Amen. So let me tell you how I'm going to measure this meeting. At the end of this meeting, it will have been a great meeting. If everybody walks out of here and says, I'm going to do this one thing. It doesn't matter what that one thing is. You're going to make a deliberate step in a direction that cultivates more spiritual growth in you. And if we get that right, it's a great day. Why don't you join the screens? Let me introduce our new series. are you doing? Or what are you doing? I, one of those. I got up, I was invited to speak at this church, large church, and I got up on the pulpit. They had written on the pulpit, what on earth are you telling these people? So I thought it was a pretty good question. We thought, what we'd like to do is bring some people who helped us designed the journey map. We had about 50 people who worked with us for many months on the journey map to curate resources that really had helped them grow spiritually. So I wasn't interested in theory. There's, of the increase of books that will never end. That's what Ecclesiastes says. There's books, there's resources plenty out there. What I was interested in is things that people have read that's actually moved them closer to Jesus, that's moved them downfield. And there was a large team who helped us curate that. And uh, Jenny and Russell were part of that team. And I thought the, the fact that they're also elders in the church and some of the busiest people I know, I thought was a very helpful thing. Let's bring them up on stage and put them on the spot. Amen? <laughs> Aren't you glad it's not you? But I, I, thought, I thought what would be really helpful is just to introduce them and let, let them talk a little bit about one of the lands that, so that by the end of the series we've gone through all the different lands. There's eight lands on the journey map. 
and just give you a sense of what they're doing. Real people with busy lives talking about how they've really connected with Jesus. And I thought that was a great opportunity. So let me introduce them. You, you all know them. This is Jenny. She's a staff member here at Northlands. She's a mom of four great kids. She's wife to Ryan. She's a homeschooler. She's an elder. She's a ministry leader. She and Ryan started missional communities. She ministers to ladies. She's um, really, honestly, one of the busiest ladies I know and, and is managing to do that all in a God-honoring way and bringing, bringing up kids that are that I'm really looking to be the kind of kids that we want. So welcome, Jenny, thank you. Thank you, it's good to be here. Um, can you give us just an overview of home life, the, the land of home life? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, we have this land called home life because we believe that we can bring heaven to earth in our homes, in the, yeah. inside the four walls that we call home. You'll see we have five milestones. You know, it's the home, the marriage, the parenting, the stewardship of finances and resources, and our family and friends. Um, and so we really believe that we can thrive in every season in our homes. Um, whether you're single, married, with kids, empty nester, in every season, in every circumstance, we believe that we can bring heaven to earth. And so we've compiled resources arranged by these milestones to, to help further us in that. That's very cool. So uh, the, real, the real question for me is, what has worked for you? Can, you? can you give us just a sense of what you've done and what resources and how you've used the resources that they've impacted your life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, while there's so many, I picked, I'm trying to pick just two to share with you this morning. One of them is called Life-Giving Speech. It's a sermon that Greg preached long ago, but it's something that we've, let me just be real. I found that I gotta hear it over and over for it to like get in me. Like a one-time sermon is great, but, but I gotta massage it in, I gotta, I gotta gnaw on it. And so I did that really in a mother's group with Beth and Jenny Grout, and we talked about what does it look like to really speak life in our home, to, to change our discourse, um, to instead of, I mean, complaining about the really real circumstances that we are dealing with. Like, yeah. you know, you gotta acknowledge them, but to begin to speak life, to, to declare an atmosphere. You know, there was um, many years where we would have certain relatives come and visit, and um, I felt like they walked through my door and they changed the atmosphere of our home. Um, and I was like on the defense, and it just was like, what is happening? And then Ryan and I realized, like, wait, we can actually speak life um, before someone enters our house. We can, we can declare a, an atmosphere of peace, Yeah. Uh, right? We, we can set something up in the spirit realm that stands no matter who walks in. Cool. Let me tell you, visits look different now. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of boundaries and wisdom that's added into that as well. But truly, we speak and declare. We're, my husband's in a season of traveling and your know, circumstances have, have looked like viruses and flu and a whole lot of medical nonsense when he's gone. And we've taken up our authority yet again, gone back to the basics of what is life giving speech. Our health, home is a health zone. It is a health zone. Like, we speak that, and our, our word has power. We have creative power in our tongue like God. We were made in his image. Why would we not take up that power? And so often we forget to. And so, you know, that has just been truly life-changing. Also, see, we, we had a season when um, our kids were little. We have one phenomenal kid in heat. Well, I mean, they're all phenomenal, but like one in particular. <laughs> And we kind of had Just give us initials. Yeah, they can do this. Um, we kind of been calling him Crazy Caleb because he's like just, you know, bouncing off the walls. You never know what you're going to get. I mean, he's like phenomenal. 
But we realized that that language, crazy Caleb, we, we were, were calling something over him that wasn't quite accurate. It was sort of funny, but slightly inaccurate. Yeah. Not actually what God's calling him. Yeah. So we had to adjust that language. And, and, and massaging out this, this message of life giving speech in context, like mother's group that I did with my friends, it really helped. Uh, let's adjust that adjective. You know, okay. um, and every now and then I still hear him call himself Crazy Caleb, and it hurts my heart because I put that in his mind. But there's grace, there's kindness of the Lord, and there's a whole lot of other adjectives my son now uses to describe himself because we've taken up um, our authority. We've used the truth of life-giving speech in our home, in our parenting, in the atmosphere that we set, and it truly has transformed the way that we do life. So that, cool. that's one of them. And then the other one, um, I love my books. Um, I, I can't stand the cover or the title, to be perfectly honest with you, but uh, great content, recommended by my friend Jenny Grout. Um, phenomenal book about establishing a culture of honor in your home. Someone asked me once, they said, I don't get why your kids don't fear you. Um, and I was like, well, I'm not going for fear. Um, I'm discipling their hearts to Jesus on a foundation of honor. We're going for honor. I don't need perfect little robots. I want children whose hearts honor the people that they do life with. Yeah. Family is refining. Can I get an amen? Yeah, amen. Right? It is the place where you work out the gospel first. And so Perfect. honor is foundational for that. And so I love this book because it's super practical. Like, give me some scenarios, people. Like, what do you do when your kid leaves their bike out in the rain and it rusts and it's like their fault and you're mad and you wasted your $200 and like, you know, like, walk me through that somebody, you know, instead of anger. Instead of compelling them to different behavior through fear, how do we use honor as a tool in our home to, to create um, an atmosphere where the gospel really is reigning? You know? And so this book has been quite helpful for Ryan and I. Praise God. That's amazing. So one of the fun of, of home life is how much ground that covers, right? So from, uh, from finances, it's insanely practical to think about your finances and think about them in a biblical way. And sometimes we don't think that a biblical level of finance is practical, but I'm telling you, it is insanely practical. And there's some resources in there from people like Ron Blue, who's here in the city, and, and of course, Dave Ramsey, if you like getting yelled at. And it's, um, <laughs> but still, it's, it's trying to teach and cultivate a level of stewardship in your home and in your finances that really in reality, what it ends up doing is creating a culture of generosity in your home. And that's like one of the biggest fruits that you can absolutely have. And then you look at, at marriage. And I don't know about you guys, for me, marriage is easy because of the woman I'm married to. But I'm sure some people it's not that way. And there are resources, and I don't just wanna talk about just resources, there are resources in there that will practically help your marriage. Uh, Greg and Michelle did these little four minute videos during COVID. It's just called Marriage Matters. There's a link in there, and you can go watch them. But what it does is it generates conversations in your relationship with your spouse. Four-minute video to just sit, watch, and then have a conversation with your spouse that you might not be having. And the opportunity to turn that into prayer. And for husbands, it turns into washing your wife with the water of the word. And it creates, a, even similar to the, the Winding and Complaining book, it creates this culture of honor in your marriage back and forth, and the fruit of that in your home is astounding, and it's simple. The beauty of, the beauty of that is it's, it's completely simple, which we love. That's 
Very cool. I mean, as some of their best friends, we see the fruit of that. They've done marriage ministry for years. And they're the kind of people we look to, for example, in our marriage. You know, the Polans, the Lusteds, the Means. I mean, these families, they've led the groups, they've taught it, they've, they've worked at it. Even when things aren't broke, they're, they're pouring into their marriage with these particular resources. And I, I love sitting on the sidelines and seeing it play out. It's, it's amazing. Let me jump in. Russell's... Uh, leads a small business. He's a dad of two. He's married to Anne-Marie, as he said. He's an elder. He's a ministry leader. He, he leads Armory, the men's ministry here, and uh, also one of the busiest people I know. And uh, Can you help us talk about life of disciple, just the land? Yeah, yeah this, was, this was a lot of fun to think through again. Um, so the life of a disciple is it's more than just understanding your salvation. It's taking it a step further. And in, in, in life right now, you get this this beautiful thing that happens when you, when you say yes to the Lord and you, and you answer his calling uh, to follow him. And the initial thing is salvation, which is absolutely stunning. It's unearned, it's unmerited, it is, but it's yours. And you can live there for a long time and it's stunning. But his invitation is far more than that, is to be a disciple, somebody who really follows him. And you get to say, Lord, not only will you be my savior, but will you be my Lord? Will you be the Lord of my life? As I, was, I was, as I was thinking about this the other day, I was fascinated by this. The disciples that walked with Jesus that we read about in scripture, they knew he was the one that had come to save them, but he was not yet their savior. He was their Lord before he was their savior. We get to do it the other way around, so good for us, because we know that he has saved us, he has redeemed us, we are bought at a price. And we get to walk the life of a disciple which works itself out in abiding in him, in this active and interactive relationship with Jesus, following him and becoming like him. We just finished our uh, The Lifestyle of Jesus uh, sermon series in this church. And this is what it means. To live a lifestyle of Jesus is to be a disciple of Jesus. To walk with him, mind, body, and soul. And uh, that's what the land is all about. So. We talk about uh, the vital walk with Jesus. These are like the principles to being a disciple, having a vital walk with him. And just look at the, as I'm saying this, think about the scriptures that you know about the disciples who walked on the earth with him. Being grounded in grace as Jesus is teaching. Hearing from God, listening to his voice, learning that rhythm of hearing from him consistently. Living a spirit-led life, allowing the spirit to, uh, to inform decisions, to inform generosity, to inform financial decisions, even like, like Greg talked about earlier. And then doing what disciples do, which is as simple as making other disciples. And uh, that's, that's what the land is. It's very really cool. What resource, what do you use? What's working for you? Yeah, so there's just a couple like we talked about. I mean, there's a ton up there and there's a ton that you can look through. Uh, but two in particular that have been super helpful at different points in my life. The first one is, uh, a sermon called Secrets of the Psalmist. And, uh, and similar to what Jenny said. Can I just say, we need better photographs of me on the, That's a good one. Can I just, can I, uh, this is ugly, I'm sorry. I just need, okay, sorry, moving on. Shouldn't have said that out There's loud. There's a rule, never watch yourself on stage <laughs> yeah, after the fact. It's horrible. So Secrets of the Psalmist is this, not, not just a great sermon, which it was, but the, the, this practical idea of David and, and Chronicles gives this, uh, this roadmap to writing Psalms. 
And there's an invitation for us to be able to write out our own psalms. Not that they're gonna be published in scripture, but it's something for you to create this strength in your walk with the Lord. Uh, and the first thing that you see that David does is he ascribes greatness to the Lord. So the, the theory is you, you describe circumstances. Look at what, look, just read the psalm. They're, they're kind of funny if you look at them in this level, but you describe the circumstances of what you're up against, what you're facing, what you're going through. And then you, instead of sitting there and going, my life is terrible, everything around me is breaking, my car broke down, all of this stuff, you pivot and you start ascribing greatness to the Lord. But you, Lord, are my rock and shield. You are my redeemer. You are the one that sets me above all of my enemies. And then you, you prescribe. David would prescribe what he wanted the Lord to do. He'd say, Lord, redeem me from my enemies. Save me from my enemies. Come in. And he would like, he'd say like knock their teeth out and, and fun stuff like that. And so, it's, so anyway, all, all that to say, like it, it sets you up. The, the, the resource sets you up to think through these things. But really where the magic happens is putting pen to paper and then starting to pray this way. Uh, this series or this, this sermon came um, for, for us, it was like five years ago. And uh, right before we, had, we adopted our oldest daughter, Maya. But we had been on the back of just heartbreaking circumstances in our, in our life to get children. Most of you guys, you might have been here last year. We got to share the testimony of us you know, getting pregnant and now Charlotte's back there somewhere, probably eating. But this, this truth of like our circumstances in this area were hard, but we knew the promises and we knew the promise maker. And, but the circumstances were tough. They did not line up with the promises and they did not line up with the goodness of God. So it was an opportunity for me to write some stuff out and just say, Lord, this is what's happening. We can't get pregnant or we lost a pregnancy or this is really hard for me as a husband in this way. But you, Lord, are the one who made the promise. You, Lord, are faithful to see everything done that you would say would be done. So, Lord, break through in this area. Come through in, in, in children and family for us. And it built something in me that will literally never be taken away. This ability to go, my circumstances stink but the Lord is so far above my circumstances that the circumstances no longer matter. Because the goodness of the Lord is a foundation here. Yeah, come on. So Lord, do what only you can do. Uh, and the beauty, of, one of the other beautiful parts about us is we've, we've gotten to walk alongside many friends who have experienced the exact same thing. And, and without, without just this mode, without this, this learning of this reality, like if David could do it, we're allowed to do it too. That's, the, that's some of the beauty of scripture. Like if you see it in scripture, there's a pattern there that you are allowed to follow for your own personal walk with the Lord. Um, the other one uh, I'll hit on real quick is, is the celebration of discipline. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people in the room probably have read this book. The book is like 40 something years old and it's, it's a beautiful representation. But we get scared of this word. There she is right there, guys. That's her. Uh, Discipline is a scary word, uh, especially in a church that, that really truly believes the grace and the unmerited favor of God. Discipline can be scary to us, but the keynote of discipline and what you learn in this book and what I've learned in my life, the keynote of discipline is joy. When you walk out the disciplines of, that, uh, that the Lord is inviting us into, this is like a space where you go, I'm becoming 
a disciple of Jesus. I'm truly learning what it looks like to allow the Lord to be Lord. And the disciplines in and of themselves are, uh, they're, they're not moral. There's no like moral code to them or anything like that. But what they do is they set you in a position before the Lord and say, here I am, Lord. And he accepts every bit of it. Uh, 2 Peter 3 says, admonishes us to, to grow in grace. The disciplines allow you to grow in grace. Grace, we experience grace the minute we enter in salvation as this unmerited favor that I've talked about. But our ability to grow in grace is really defined when we get to uh, start walking in the disciplines of the Lord and allow him that space in our life. So very cool. So that's been in the busiest, craziest season of my life without some of those things that were established um, between this and just reading through the scriptures. One of the things, so there's 12 different disciplines in the book and you can go look them up for yourself, but I kind of committed the first few times I read this book, I'm gonna focus on one for like a six month period. The first one I did was study. I'm not a studious person in my nature. Uh, I'm not an A student, we'll put it that way. Um, but to sit and truly study the scriptures and just take, I just, what I did was I took the book of John and I read it and then I read it again and then I read it again and I would just slowly methodically go through it and highlight things that I thought were different, write down what I was thinking, what popped into my mind and what it did was it clicked something in me for a deeper love of Jesus that I didn't even know I was capable of and uh, that will change you. How, uh, for both of you, how important in closing was, uh, were other people in the process of these resources? I mean, I think, you know, it's, a, it's, it's everything. It, it, it takes it from just knowledge that goes in one ear and out the other to, to transformative. So an example from that land um, is Living from the Unseen by Wendy Backlund. I mean, completely has transformed my life taught me what it looks like to live spirit-led. But I studied that alongside my dear friend and mentor, Robin Johnson. And then I taught it alongside Robin Johnson. And then I took him to my missional community and I taught it there. So you know, you, I think I did it one more time. So you do something like three or four times, you read it, you study, you do it with your friends, you, you press in, you're, now you're all, you know, Robin, Melissa and I text each other, you know, for literally like phrases and questions from that book because we've, we pressed in together. Yeah. And, and there's, not no, there's not a long explanation needed. We know exactly what she's talking about. We know exactly how to check our hearts, repent, change our thinking, get back in the spirit, and let's go. Yeah. Um, and so doing it with your friends is truly transformative. And I think it takes it so much deeper. Right. Um, so that, that's absolutely been special for us. Yeah, I would say that like the, spirit, the celebration of discipline for me was first read and done in a group uh, of men. And we went after it together, and then we got a different group did it the next year, and then the next year. And uh, so similar, we were learning it, and then we were teaching it. And um, this, just this, the beauty of what happens in a group setting of getting to go, man, I'm not sure that I'm doing that. Will you guys help me? Will you encourage me? Will you pray for me as we walk, as we walk this out together? Because, uh, you know, faith is a team sport. It's yeah. a, you know, it's something that is, we're not to do this in a silo. Um, it takes guidance and it takes uh, some help. So yeah, stunning. There, there's something to the independent study, right? You know, my husband listens to podcasts and he, uh, on repeat. And so I think hearing things over and over and over or reading Compelled by Love, oh my gosh, 
over and over and over and over. It gets into your soul. Yeah. But I think it's when you, faith comes by hearing. And so there's something that happens when we speak about it with our friends. We, yeah. we begin to believe it more the more we say it. Yeah. yeah. So. So appreciate you guys. Thanks for sharing your hearts. And uh, it's just a, an honor to see what um, uh, you guys are not normal people, but I'm calling you normal people. Um, uh, normal, busy people serving an incredible king. And thanks for your service. We appreciate it. Amen. The day of Pentecost, the church is born. 3,000 people get saved and baptized. And the Bible says, from then on, Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship. They devoted themselves. How often I have wished as a pastor that I could devote you. Because, Lord, just give me control of their decision-making. And I will, you guys would give like you always wanted to give if I was in control of your decision Like, Lord, give me control of their decision-making so that I can devote them to what is right. But I can't ever, and God will never give me, never answer that prayer, because you have to devote yourself to what you know to be right. They devoted themselves, Acts 2 says. They devoted themselves. And you have to devote yourself. So today I'm calling you to that. What are you devoting yourself to grow in? Because it's not a single person in this room who says, I'm there. Because if Paul said, not that I've already attained all of this or have been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. And I figure we've all got a bunch of growing to do. What are you committing yourself to? Because for me, if I had a magic wand and could wave it in the next you know, November, December, January, Busy season, end of year, parties, there's turkey, there's, you know, tinsel. <clears throat> Underneath all of that, there needs to be a commitment from you, from me. Because the presiding word over this church for this year is gather oil. Gather oil. Because the, the night may be a little longer than we thought it was going to be. Gather oil. So I'm inviting you. Go and gather some oil. Make a choice. Pick something on the journey map. Go after it. Find a resource. Call some people. Say, do you want to read this book with me over the next two months? And let's you know, call each other. Let's, let's engage. Be deliberate about something. Because the tiniest action is better than the greatest intention. Okay? Tiniest action. It doesn't even have to be hard. The tiniest action. Greater than the biggest intention. Let's pray. Father, would you, um, by your spirit, lead everybody in the room to the next thing you have for us? Because, Lord, you have some beauty. You have, some, you have some things, Lord, you want to show us and some truth you want to pour into our lives. 
There's some truth we don't know, Lord, and there's some lies that we've believed, and both are very dangerous to your people. So I pray that you would open up our eyes to see some new things and that you would point out some wrong things. And that, Lord, you would grow us and that you'd pour out a grace over these next few months, a grace all over our church, Lord, that people would be inspired and stirred and uh, pour out the fire of God in our hearts, Lord, that we would go after something and see it and see your beauty in it. So, Father, I pray your blessing on your people, your grace and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So uh, glad if you are visiting with us for the first time. It's wonderful to have you and thank you for being with us through this different kind of service. Uh, we'd like to invite you to a cup of coffee outside at the coffee bar and we'd love to just get to meet you and say hi. And so some of our leaders will be out there and come help yourself to a cup of coffee. But thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and uh, we're just looking forward to uh, just a really beautiful close to this year. It's been a very exciting year. Uh, our ministry team waits on the Lord. They get words of knowledge, and that's uh, just a beautiful administration, I think, of a supernatural thing the Lord's been doing. Every week we hear testimonies of people uh, that that happens to. I, uh, a little while back, I was, I was sitting here, back when we had the old chairs, and this lady came up to me and said, that's me on the screen. And I said, oh, she said, but I'm visiting. Do you, can I go up? I was like, yeah, come, I'll take you, let's go. And, I get, and she, there was a very specific word of knowledge up on the, on the screen, and she said, that's, that's me. And so we went and prayed with her, trusted God, and it was a beautiful testimony. So on the screen, some words of knowledge will come up, uh, but you don't have to have a word of knowledge to come up. The ministry team loves to pray for you anyway. I just say, our rule is, if you hurt within six feet of any one of these words of knowledge, come up anyway, and we'd love to pray for you. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless. We'll see you next week. Amen.